You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. The Running Public is brought to you exclusively by VJ Shoes. My ratio of choice, Kirk's ratio of choice. If you're heading off trail, this is the shoe you want on your foot. Right now, discount code RUNNINGPUB40 will get you $40 off the VJ Shoe Zero. This is a 20 carbide tipped winter running and racing beast. Go to VJShoesUSA.com and use it today. a.m. Eastern. I've had several cups of coffee. You're definitely getting me at, at, at prime time. I'm on my first. But here's the problem. I haven't taken my coffee poop yet, so I may be pulling a Matt B. Davis in the middle of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little sick here, guys, so I'm going to be raspy today. Yeah, you sound really bad. Like Jadakiss. Matt, is that flashing back far enough for you? Jadakiss? <laughs> Mr. Raspy? That's that's good, dude. I would have gone with uh, Buster Rhymes, maybe, maybe Buster Rhymes. Right. All right, let's fire this thing up. You don't you don't take the lead on our podcast, Matt. Yeah, that's not how this works. You you get in the back seat. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yeah. So we're we're kicking it really really old school here. We're bringing back one of the OGs of the entire obstacle racing sport. Now we've had OG racers like Hobie. And now we're coming back to one of the first people to ever try to make media a thing in this sport. Matt laid, <laughs> Matt laid the, the groundwork for what Kirk and I are expanding upon currently. How's that for a passive-aggressive intro? That's amazing. I mean, when you, it makes me feel good about what I did because I was like, oh, cool. I guess that's what I did. So we thought we would um, – we thought we'd like to just like hit a few hot topics real quick with you, Matt um because you're always good for color commentary and then we actually want to get to know you a bit like who the heck are you matt b davis no one knows you've been here for years but you're you're the persona we're interested in what brought you to where you are now and then of course it's a running podcast we want to track your running career as well oh okay good so start making up some really fast stats for us no i'm i'm really into running these days this is gonna be fun if you'd asked me this two years ago i probably wouldn't have been I would have been like, whatever, but I'm training for Boston right now, which you may have not known. I don't know. We can talk about that later, though, if you want to get to that. Know how, know how we know you've been into this running thing the last couple of years? Because every time I see you, you're skinnier. And that tells me that you've been working out. Well, there, I think there's this weird thing where the camera adds weight because I feel like people always say that to me, even times that I'm a little heavier. People seem to say, oh, you've lost weight. So I think it's a weird – does that make sense at all? I've never heard that the camera adds weight before. Are you being serious? <laughs> Did you come up with that? Are you being serious? Because that's Did you, you make know this up. A, you know that's a thing. I, are you trolling me? Are you? We should trademark this. That if it ever gets used again, you get a kickback. Let's let's say that it adds like what would you guess? Ten to fifteen pounds. Do you want? To, should we make that a thing now? I, is Kirk? Is he fucking with me or not? He's totally messing with you. Yeah. Okay. I will tell you, though, this is a two-second tangent. Back in my bachelor days, which is forever ago, and I never talk about it anymore, I used to have to get paid to go do these. Shush. Okay, so I used to get paid to go to, like, 
bars and clubs and be myself, right? I would get flown to like Toronto and I would literally show up at like a party, right? And I'd be like, here I am. And then I would hang out. And I bet you a hundred times a night, a hundred times a night, a girl would walk up to me with this scowl on her face. She'd be in her high heels and she'd be looking like down onto my forehead. And she'd be like, you're a lot littler in person. Wow. <laughs> and uh, you're so short. I heard that. I bet you have heard that thousands of times in my life. So the fact Bracken is not trolling you. The camera does add 15 pounds because I look jacked apparently on camera, but just like a shrimp in person. So there you have it. There's my personal story. It's a tough story. No guy wants to hear, wow, you are so much smaller than I thought you'd be. Yeah, no one I always just, tears all the way back to my hotel room, slept in the fetal position. It was rough times. All right, Matt, let's dive into some business, okay? We feel like a current hot topic, and we kind of just want to touch on it really quick. We want to get your take on the Spartan protest or the Spartan contract deal. Um, <laughs> I, we actually want to hear what you think. And then we have maybe just a little bit to add, too. So, like, Where's your head at with that? You've talked to a bunch of people about it. Like, what do you think? Well, I, I want to say, and I know Bracken will appreciate this, that Cassidy Watton said, why are these people acting like they just found out Santa Claus didn't exist? Um, Joe DeSena is very consistent. And one of the things he's consistent at is lowballing and being a fucking penny pincher. And it serves him really well in a lot of areas. I have had arguments with Joe about his company and said, why are you doing X? Right? And he's like, because it's cheap. And as the old saying goes, you pay cheap, you pay twice. And Joe is one of those people that is like, oh, fine, whatever. Right? Because it's all about like now. So... This is not talking about athletes. This is talking about vendors and whatever. Um, and this idea of, um, I think I he was right in 2012. If we're going to be considered a real thing, we should probably call these people pros. And it worked. This guy, Hobie, this person, Amelia, maybe Bracken. Bracken was an early pro teamer, but nobody really knew him if you, unless you were like a super OCR honk, right? Um, and, and, and I used to say, you know you can buy a, an obstacle racer with a free race and a sandwich, okay? Right? Yeah. This goes right to, and maybe Bracken wants to speak with us, maybe he can plead the fifth, but this goes along with, you know, hiring a television host, right? And it works in the early days to say, listen, I can't pay you, but you're going to be on our platform and it's going to do wonders for you, right? Or you're going to be a pro team athlete and we can't pay you, but we're going to fly you everywhere and we're going to give you this platform, right? X, Y, Z. But year two, three, four, five, six, seven, hang in there with us. We're not paying you, but you're going to get this exposure. Doesn't work. And that's where we're at is that I do feel like something met right because it used to be you know well amelia might say no or hunter might say no but there's 10 other guys and now those 10 other guys kind of woke up i feel like and we're like well, wait a minute we're worth something so i don't know is that a good chunk to start with i think it is and and i'm not going to plead the fifth on this i i actually do have things to say about this yeah let's get into it yeah and, and the first i think i would like to respond to like Alexander Nicholas and Cassidy and 
any of the people who have sent me negative messages about this and to first say like, I agree with you. This is our fault. Right off the bat, I want everyone to understand that I am a Spartan apologist. And Matt, you'll, you know that. I have been for a decade. I've been the good like soldier just always always defending their actions because I get that they're business first. But this is absolutely our fault. We have been so thirsty as a sport for any amount of fame that we're willing to work for nothing. And from the beginning, we realized, like the people at the top realized, we don't bring all that much to the sport and we're overpaid. And then a couple of years <laughs> in, it started to tip. And the people at the top realized, well, they're actually starting to sign real sponsors, kind of in part because of us. And now we're probably adequately paid. And then it tipped a little bit further, which was they're making millions in deals now and we're making less than we used to. And now we're undervalued. But there, like you said, there were always a thousand people in the wings that they knew. Bracken, if you push for a signing bonus this year, we can just say, no, there's there's a hundred guys who will take your spot happily if we give them one Instagram mention and a t-shirt with their name on it. <laughs> and the whole industry said, hey, yes. wait, wait a minute, junk, don't junk headbands too. Yes. And it's the same thing, like you said, with the announcing. Uh, David McGee and I did the first season and we had a deal worked out where we got money to do this. And at the end of that, what happened? Transition Productions budget got slashed like in a fourth of what it used to be. And they came back and said, sorry, we're only, we'll get you to the race, but we're not going to pay anyone to do media anymore. And I said, obviously not. Like, I'm not going to leave my family to lose money. And what did they do? They found a whole list of people who will gladly do it for free. And so it's the athlete's fault. Kirk just raised his hand. <laughs> well, I'm not calling these people out. I did it. I did my first two photo shoots for free. I flew out to LA to do a commercial for Spartan in a photo shoot. I flew out to Pennsylvania once to do a commercial. And these things got used for years. In every media I'd see it, they'd play the commercial on every commercial. I mean, on every commercial break of the show. Was this was this the watch one? Was this like you jumping into the mud like dramatically? Yeah. What I yeah, was that? And you know what? You know what stuck with me? I fucking remembered. How amazing is that? I remembered. Right. What, what? But I don't remember the product. Was it a watch? Was it? I, no, it was just for Spartan. Oh, just Spartan. But, yeah. But the thing that stuck with me is that day, the guy who was in charge of di directing, I guess, this commercial, he said, you know what? He pulled me aside. He said, if this was a real gig, I'd be getting 10 grand. You'd be getting 10 grand and we'd be on our way. And I said, well, you know, I'm doing this for, for free to get into the Rolodex. Like once I'm a trusted commodity, then the next time I get to ask for it. And I believe that. And I think like everyone did that. Kirk did his first sideline reporting to get in the good graces, but we all do that. And then you turn around and you ask for, okay, labor's not free. Now I need to get compensated. And they just turn to the next person and they get their two or three freebies. And then the next one. And so, I, so for years, people have been tired of it. But like you said, it wasn't until all the top people realized at once, we can talk to each other. And we can stand at the same time. Maybe we can set a precedent moving forward that free labor is done. Well, I, I think that that so people I want to have people understand. And this is great because it's uh, well, in some ways, it's not great because this is what I was going to talk to Josh about. So um, <laughs> we might be I might be giving you guys my best my best takes. Um, but but this um, this question comes up a lot in the. Uh, independent contractor space. I must said entrepreneur, but not everybody's an entrepreneur. And photographer, uh, makeup person, um, 
plumber, you know, anybody who works for themselves there, I think, I think everybody needs to learn. There's almost no way to learn a hard lesson except to learn the hard lesson. I'm going to give you a perfect example. Okay. I'm going to give you two perfect examples. You want to know about me? So it's a joke because I feel like I always forget to say it, but I had a staffing company. When our people bring it up, we're like, yeah, Matt, we know you had a fucking staffing company. So when I had a staffing company and I had to have 10 people come to the event, right? And at the end of the event, my people were like, well, by the way, we pay 20 bucks to park. You're going to reimburse that. And I went back to my client and said, can I have that money? And they were like, no, I wanted to be a good guy. So I took care of my people and I gave them the money for parking. But the next time it was in the contract, you will pay for parking, right? So that's sort of a basic example of you kind of got to go through a hundred of those to get a good contract for yourself, right? You got to like, oh shit, I didn't count a travel day. Fuck, I just lost that whole day and I only got paid for three days, right? That kind of stuff. So that's for any of us. That's for all of us in the world. So I wanted that Spartan gig. Like, again, I didn't know we were going to go this like hard into like our experience. Like I didn't, I wasn't even going to mention transition, but you did. It doesn't really matter, but you know, whatever. I want, when I saw you guys on TV, I was like, in my, ask my wife, I was like dying, right? When I saw fucking... I almost called her Winter Soldier. Christmas Abbott <laughs> on that Winter Soldier. Lucky like, when I saw, you know, famous CrossFit athlete doing a horrible job at my sport, I'm dude, like I was almost in tears. Like, no, that's the job I want. I'm worth it. Please, Joe, give me a chance. And finally, the day came from Tough Mudder and they said, here's the rate. And it was a good rate. And I went and did it. And, you know, it's funny at the time because my wife was like, isn't it interesting? Like you wanted this other gig so bad. And then you finally got this other one. Now, Joe sends out this email that you and I got. Hey, everybody, we're doing uh, Spartan this year. Anybody who wants to do it, we can't pay you. And I was like, you can't make that offer in 2017. That was a 2012 offer. I've already been paid for it. There's no way I'm going back and doing it. I'll do one for nothing. If you only do one, but my friend Bracken already told me that he did one for nothing and it didn't work out. So you know what I'm saying? Yeah. That email was mind-blowingly ballsy to say, hey, here's, here's this offer I have for you. I want you to provide a professional service for us and in return – you will get the opportunity to provide that professional service for us. And we're right. going to spend, we're going to assign six figure deals for sponsors on that show. But uh, yeah, you're not going to, you're not going to get paid. Right. So here's the, the one thing I said, I started talking about contracts. I want to bring it back to like life. I feel like what an opportunity can bring, right? Relationships, you know, the word, this word exposure, which gets overused a lot, but those things are worth something, right? So I can't think of what it is, but let's just off the top of my head, if the XFL called and said, dude, you want to be a sideline reporter? We'll fly. Of course they would pay me. But if they're like, dude, we'll fly you in, but we can't pay you. I'd fuck. Yeah. Right. But I wouldn't do that for a year. Right. Right. And Spartan is making these, Hey, hang in there with us. We're a growing sport and the check will be there one day. I want to ask you this. Did you hear Joe say, if you want to play ball, will give you good stuff. And if you don't, and you hate the cripple people, did you hear him say that on my show? Yeah, uh, I do want to, I do have a tan, not a tangent, but just a response to that. So Lisa and I were listening to Joe's interview and Joe was heated. Joe was so fired up and he should be. People were attacking his company, but he, he makes this big point. If you want to win races and be a jerk, 
I would rather support the eighth place guy who is just a wonderful person, a great representative of the sport. I will gladly support him. And Lisa turns to me and said, there is an eighth place guy who's been really, really a good person and a great representative of the sport for the past 10 years. And that's Bracken. And he just got offered a contract with $0 per month. Right. I was like, yeah, you know, that is interesting. Like, it's a great point to make. Like, I'd really want to support someone, but we've had a decade of, you know what, we will do this, but there's never anything for it. Well, let me ask Kirk sitting there who has worked for a network, has worked for real, has seen real production. Are you just kind of like, are you just kind of facepalming all of this? Like, oh my God, Spartan's a joke. Like, what do you think? Because this is like, I mean, I saw you did sign with, I don't know, you posted something. I signed with Spartan. Yeah, that's what I posted. Yeah, right. Well, you know, like, for example, when I was the host on the CW network, I'm in Minneapolis here. We're like a market 19, which means we're the 19th largest market in the US, right? Which is a big deal to be working for TV in a market 19. Okay. When I applied for my job, I had no idea what it paid, but I went and did an audition, right? And they took 120 of us and they gave us like quick auditions, right? I got the job. You know what they offered? I got paid $18 an hour, right? You can't make a living you know, in this city on that. You can't do anything. And if I said no, there were another 120 jokes that were ready to say yes. And so it's just, a, it's a common, when you deal with media and you deal with TV and you deal with exposure, which people seem to do anything for, like it's it's across all industries and it's just finally getting a Spartan. And really it's a good problem to have because uh, we're even having this conversation, right? Like I'm more like glasses half full with all this. Like how lucky are we to have this conversation? The sport's gotten to this point. We have athletes who feel like they deserve more and we're at this exposure level with being on ESPN and all these other things. And and so like pretty cool that we're even here discussing this, but like the time and history tells us like people will work for free. And if one guy says no, the next guy says yes. And it's like, that is a hard battle to fight, but that's what, that's exactly what's happening. Well, I mean, that's what it is. You know, I've talked to people in, uh, in action sports and apparently it was raining money on them. And is that just because they did have the bigger TV deals? Like they're like, oh my God, I made 50 grand and then a 25 grand podium bonus, like like from all my sponsors, like it was ridiculous. So can you explain to the listener what the difference is? The difference is that those athletes are symbiotic with the company rather than like connected at the teat where those athletes have their sponsor independently and there is a third party in between the company and the athlete rather than the, the company saying like, hey, I control your sponsorships. I control where you show up and we can remove you from our company, which removes you access to the sport. I think that's the difference. And that's not a knock on Spartan. That's just a knock on the system that's evolved into being in place. You know, NASCAR didn't, and I know people don't like the analogies, but NASCAR didn't sign their drivers uh, the motocross, there's not like the motocross pro team. There's, there are independent sponsors which have their own teams. And, and I think that's the layer of protection that is being sought right now. It's not that people want to get paid and get famous. It's they want protection from some of the, the shady dealings that go on. So Matt, I, I'm about to talk about something that I don't think has been talked about yet. And Kirk and I didn't plan this, but I feel like I feel like this is important for, again, for the Cassidy's and for the the doubters of the world to know exactly why some people are fired up. It is not about wanting to get paid. It is about not getting screwed over. So athlete A, 
good friend of mine, pro teamer, very successful racer, sources a sponsorship on his own or her own. We're going to protect the, the name and works out a five-figure deal with this sponsor. Okay. A good deal for one year, five figures to represent the company. The company also is interested in getting into the obstacle racing game. That athlete provides the connection to Spartan. Spartan takes over, cuts the athlete out of the deal, takes signs the sponsor to a bigger deal, and now the athlete has a fourth low four-figure deal and no guarantees. Another good friend and uh, a teammate of mine gets a sponsorship on their own, comes to Spartan with it. Spartan says, okay, we can roll with that. They're not a sponsor of ours, but we have some other sponsors we can hook you up with. Athlete says, that's cool, but I don't want some certain language in my contract. Spartan responds to that athlete through their sponsorship team by reaching out and saying, We're, the way you're dealing with us is not acceptable. We have advised our sponsors not to work with you. So these are true stories. And this is just this is People just like, can't see me. I just, my mouth was a gate. People right. So, so that's there. super sketchy, right? But the athlete works for that company. What are they going to do? Have their agent contact them? They don't have an agent and their agent, if they did, had signed a sponsorship deal with that company, not with the outside. Um, personal story, twice now in my, let's call it quote unquote career with Spartan. I've had a, a contract sitting on the table, which was less money than the year before. And the athlete rep for us at the time says, all right, so here's the deal. We're removing this, but I have I have a $20,000 deal with you. They want to get into the stadium racing. They want to set up this thing at Spartan where um, you know you race hard, get clean, and you, you, you are the person we've pitched to them. We've already pitched it. They've already accepted it. You're going to be able to sign in like a week or two. The contract's sitting here. We have pitched you to them. They love you. They have selected you. Um, your Spartan contract, we're about to run past our 60 days. So we need to sign this, but you're doing $20,000 next week. We're going to sign this. I'm like, well, I, I need to wait until that's there. So we get both like, no, trust me, this is, this is a done deal, but we got to have you signed because we're making our media announcement this week. I signed the deal. A week goes by nothing. Two weeks go by. I reach out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't worry. It's a done deal. Don't worry about it. Three weeks go by. Oh, you know what? The sponsor pulled out, but thanks for signing. Now that wow. has happened on two different occasions. So again, it's not like we're asking for, we want guaranteed money, but if we are going to have guaranteed bad things happen through shady negotiations, then we also want some protections on that end. So that's where my passion for this comes from, which is Spartan is fantastic at getting people to work for them for free because people believe in their sport and their mission, but they're also great at pulling the rug out I want things in place so that the rug can't be pulled anymore. I just, I was going to pull up this old uh, article because I was going to ask you because people, because people have been saying like, oh, well, it was only 10 people. They got more money, like all this money. Um, uh, but then I found the quote that you gave me, which shows what a team player you were. It says, it's been a wonderful ride representing Spartan. After five years of doing so, it'd be strange not wearing their logo. I'm nothing but grateful for the, all the opportunities I've received but it was time to branch out and start the next chapter of my OCR experience. Do you regret saying any of that? That was two years ago. No, then that was, that was me hitting the same point that a lot of people hit this year where I just said, no, I'm going to take my stand. No one stood with that Rose left as well. So two of us left, no one else stood. And so no waves were made. And now I think a lot of people are to that same spot I was at. 
What do you say though to the to the people? Because people have messaged this to me. Why don't they just get agents? Why do you, what do you say to those people? Because people have messaged me that question. Oh, a lot of people do, and it's worked for some people. But uh, agents can't negotiate for something that's not there. The budget is the budget. There are people um, protecting people's names in private conversations. There are people in Spartan whose jobs are on the line in order to get certain deals done under budget. And so when that's the case, if the budget's set and your job's predicated around getting it done, all the negotiating in the world can't change it. And so the request is that the budget changes to reflect the income that the athletes bring in. I mean, if we're, if we're simplifying this, I'm just going to jump in quick though, for like listeners, like really it just comes down. Like the main argument is over the last few years, athletes have been offered less and less and the contracts have required more and more and they become more restrictive. It's like that. It's really, you're just going to simplify it into one quick sentence. That's exactly what's, what's going on. And, (laughs) and, and that's 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 it. I mean, you can sum it up there. And if you take like if you're like me, you know, we have two camps on this. And a lot of these people, I got a B list contract. I got the Spartan Select contract, which says here's a free T-shirt and go race for free. Like I'll be honest with that, okay? Um, but but as part of the deal, you know, if if you don't sign with Spartan, then you don't have access to Spartan sponsors. And so for some B listers like myself, um, the the perk or the the benefit of signing comes from the partners of Spartan money's not coming from Spartan. It's coming from their partners, like all, you know, like the Yokohamas and the ascent protein and all that stuff. So, and, and then you have another camp in which, you know, a lot of these athletes, this is their full-time job. Like this is exactly how they make their living. Of course, they're going to fight. Do you ask your boss for a raise when you feel like it's deserved at work? Of course you do. You know, like, Hey, I've worked hard for you. I've done what I should. But when you say comes from the other people, this term guaranteed coming around. So, I think like what Woods was saying was that that's not good enough. If you're going to say, well, maybe you'll get a bunch of money from Yokohama or whatever, would it be possible? Like, I know, I, I know this isn't a great example because it's who she is, but I know Amelia signed with Reebok and not Spartan. Yeah. So that's could, no longer possible. So Ryan Woods could not say to Yokohama, look, I want to work with you guys. I'm not going to work with you through these guys. Possible, yes, but. In, improbable is what I'm what I would say because Spartan would say you don't get to deal with us if that's the case well because like we talked about with the other athlete to be not named Spartan can just put pressure on and say no we, you don't want to work with that, that athlete and oh play. right 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 that's that's that, that's how, that, that's how people got me tooed and shit man right and that that's exactly it that's why we kind of feel like we you shouldn't work justified. with you shouldn't work with Ashley Judd because she's a problem right and that that's that's why we feel justified right now is because it's it, there are moral issues at play, not just I want more money kind of thing. But in, as long as 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 we're being like clear with it, I do believe that there is money that's being not appropriately allocated. I think that the easiest way to make everyone happy is to say that every time a deal is sourced off the backs of pro athletes, there's a guaranteed percent kickback. So that's what that's what collective bargaining is in other sports, correct? Right, and that that's what we want to get to. We understand like we're not suddenly going to receive a ton of money this year, but we want to lay the groundwork for moving forward. There is collective bargaining in place. For example, Rakuten that is an eight figure deal over the course of three years. All right, and it is predicated around the pro aspect of the sport, and so that that deal can't be signed without pro racers. 
And so in that case, Spartan can say, all right, because of our pro circuit and our pro athletes, we reserve this, this amount. There is always, let's say it's a 2% kickback to be split amongst pros. That's the type of protection that athletes would feel comfortable with rather than, you know, if you play ball, we might just talk to your sponsors about you, but you're going to have to sign on faith. Right. I Well, listen, if I'm voting, I vote you head of the athlete, whatever, the, the committee. I mean, you obviously need a lawyer, but I would definitely put you up as the player representative, right? I'm being serious. Like, I know. like if that's where the sport is going, if that's the if that's where the sport is going, you want someone who's A, an athlete, B, understands the sport, understands the history, the athlete's respect. I mean, we all know they fucking picked Gelati for something and you guys went bananas because nobody likes that guy, right? I don't think that's why. I think it's that um, the athletes didn't have a say in the vote. That would be like appointing the uh, the representative for the Players Association in the NFL because Jerry Jones picked him. Right, exactly. You know, it w- wouldn't matter if he picks the greatest guy in the world. I like Kevin. But it's the fact that ownership picked it rather than players picking him. Well, but here's the thing. What? Okay, let me let me throw this back at again. I'm just I want to be the people here. The people are like, what do you mean Rockington's paying for that? Like they're just paying for the sport. Like they don't they don't care who the athletes are, and they're just trying to grow the race and get the regular people off the couch and blah blah blah. Yeah, I I think that's the same as saying that Nike doesn't care who the athletes in the NFL are. They just want to grow their brand. It's true, but without the athletes in the NFL, Nike doesn't sign on. But 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 the NFL doesn't have open but the NFL doesn't have open waivers. No, but the NFL has um, high school, college, Pop Warner feeder programs, which all do what the pros do. And so when Nike gloves are used by the pros, they are used by every kid in America. And that's the concept of Rakuten sponsoring a pro league, which is that it's televised, everyone sees our name, and then they use it. It's not Rakuten doesn't care if they get 100 million people off the couch. Rakuten cares that 100 million people tune into the sport so that they can see their logo there. Did you guys hear that um, Woods might work with Amazon or Pornhub? <laughs> <laughs> I heard the Pornhub thing, which makes sense to me. So I hope he gets it. I hope he signs it. That's the funny stuff, and it's also the the stuff that I truly hope people don't actually believe, which is that there's animosity here. I think they under I want people to understand that I'm still going to race Spartan Race if I don't sign. I still like Joe. I think that everyone at Spartan generally has a great mission. I just think that Spartan's built on the back, and I'm talking from volunteers to course designers to their contractors to race officials. It's built on the back of cheap or free labor. And I can't control any facet of that, even though I think it all should change. This is the one realm where I have some amount of voice. And I think that everyone at Spartan deserves their fair share. That's all very logical. I can't argue with you. Um, all right. So let's wrap this up real quick and then let's 180 this thing. We're going we're gonna to allow maybe 10 minutes to catch up on the, uh, on the Spartan protest. And, and, then, and then we'll jump into Matt B. Davis. And here we are. If you, um, edit, if you, edit, any, if you edit anything I say out, I'm going to be very upset. But go ahead. I believe that. Uh, I still feel like I didn't get my question answered, man. I want to know my initial question I asked 40 minutes ago, which was, what do you think? Like, do you are you on the athlete side? Are you on Spartan side? How do you like? Did I, mean, I not like, answer forty minutes I mean, ago? Like, well, I mean, like in the, like a really like simple way. Are you like totally like I'm behind the athletes and I get it, or I think they're being a bunch of fussy babies? Like, where do you stand in there? I, I mean, is this is this where we are? are? We in like hot take tweet corner? Like, yep. 
It's exactly where we are. Hot take tweet corner, hundred percent. <laughs> I just said Spartan wants to wants to wants to make an offer that they can't that they made five years ago, and you can't do that. Like oh, they, so you're, they, okay. they, they, so you're they, strongly on the athlete time. side here. I'm not. I'm not strongly on the athlete side. I, I certainly understand. I have a business. This Matt David strongly on athlete side. Exactly. I mean, Joe's point did sit with me. Jackson literally does not understand why I don't buy him everything he wants. Not I me. Mean, not all the time, but a lot of times. So I get that people see that. Now, very shortly, the the price for mutter is going to come out if it hasn't already, um, and people are going to point to that. But. The opportunity to buy a brand like Tough Mudder for that cheap is like, oh my God, you'd be stupid not to take it, but it doesn't mean that money is available for athletes. That That's a really good point. And I think it highlights something that is always correct about Spartan and incorrect in logical thinking. The first is that the correct thing is that they reinvest everything. So it's not like they have crazy cash on hand usually because they're always expanding and always diversifying. So it is true that like there's not just budget sitting around that they're just hoarding. They truly are always moving and they're always overextending on things like Tough Mudder if it is valuable to the company. But the second thing is that in no way, shape or form is it ever acceptable to not provide a service because you can't afford it. This goes back, this started back when we used to not have enough course tape. When they'd say, do you know how much course tape costs? (laughs) Get off course because there was a flag every quarter mile. And I'd say, why don't you just line the whole thing? And this is a direct quote. The answer is, do you have any idea how much that would cost? You can't put on a race if you can't right, afford the course tape. Right, then you don't have a business. You can't sponsor athletes if you're not going to pay them for what they do. You can't buy a new company if you can't afford it. Like that, that, That's how economics work. If you don't have enough money, don't do the action. Edit, edit the first 40 minutes. Just get that, that you nailed it. All right, perfect. Perfect. You're not going to cry about it if we cut all of you out, Matt. Be all right. Okay, perfect. Part two of the interview begins. Part two. Very. Um, that was a very good uh, segue there, Matt. Why are we talking to you? I I was chatting with Bracken about who we wanted to interview because we just started this thing a few weeks ago, and you were one of the first guys on my list. Do you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, you were one of the first guys on my list because you were a guy. You know, love you or hate you or whatever. Anybody in our sport like knows who you are. Like you're the first man. You're the first to put out consistent media. You're the first to report on any ongoings in in our industry or our sport. And so you're kind of a pioneer that way. But I feel like you're really, you know, you talk about everything else and everybody else that's that's going on. But you never get a chance to shine, Matt B. Davis. We want to learn a little more about you, brother. All right. I'm. Yeah, man. I'm. I'm down. So for some people who don't know, we got some, I would say, running-centric listeners who don't follow the sport of OCR that come tune in. Um, let's just talk real quick about your podcast. How long ago did you start that thing? What gave you the idea? Why'd you start it? June 2012, uh, I had done one Tough mutter on a 28-degree day, which changed my life. Went in freezing water, did all those things. Oh, my God, how did I do this? Did a Spartan or two, did a superhero scramble, went up to the death race in Vermont to be around these people, right? There was there was so little content. Uh, Carrie Adams actually used to work for Spartan, did a couple of things, did a couple of podcasts. Spartan would put up these post-race videos. Joe and Andy put out these crazy videos and, and just, I was curious and I wanted to be around it. And I left three days 
in Vermont thinking, uh, I like podcasts. I think I'd like to start one. That's honestly as, as deep as it got. Um, I had no deeper mission at that time. This is June, July, 2012. That's the way you're minded, right? Like you're like a media minded human. Would you say like that was just, that made like a logical step for you at that time? Not as a business. No. The way you're wired though, aren't you wired to be in front of a mic or a camera? Yes, but I didn't know that even then, even though I had done, for those that don't know, I'd done stand up for 10 years and was eight years removed from that. I, I still wasn't, I didn't trust that this is what I should be doing, but now I'm very clear it's what I should be doing. You know what? I wanted to actually ask about that stand up thing. What, how long did you, um, how long did you pursue the stand up stuff and when did you decide to pull the plug on that and why? So my whole life, my friend said, you know, you're really funny. You should be a comedian. And when you're, you know, 10 or 12 or 14, that's really nice. Um, but it was like, that's, that's never going to happen. Um, and I was a huge fan of stand-up comedy. Uh, my parents had stand-up albums, Bracken, albums, vinyl. And I listened to, hold on to your seat, Bill Cosby himself a million times. I listened to that record. I grew up with him. Listen to that record a million times. Um, Bob Newhart. When I first heard George Carlin, I was like, oh my God, like this guy is like dropping the fucking truth bombs. Like I was a huge Carlin fan. I was a huge Bill Hicks fan. And again, I was never going to do stand up. It seemed, you know what I mean? Um, I was a huge Saturday Night Live fan. I was a huge Monty Python fan. Like comedy, I just was just always important to me. And it's what was important to my friends and I, you know what I mean? Uh, a friend of mine, Dave Henson, you're getting the whole story. My friend Dave Henson, uh, was the president of the Young Democrats of the University of Georgia in 1995. And he said, hey, Matt, I'm putting on this show of stand-up and music, and I want you to come do it. And that's, I was like, well, I guess I got to do it. And I'd actually been keeping a little notebook of jokes that I would one day tell. I did stand-up once and had an experience that I've later learned many stand-ups have, which is, oh my God, I now know what I want to do with the rest of my life, right? Even though I only got laughs half the time, like half the jokes bombed, it was like, oh my God, half the jokes worked. This is amazing. I bet that was a big adrenaline rush for you too. Like being up on stage and then like, like just feeling alive and like, I don't know, that rush of that and the thrill afterwards, like that has to be like part of the process, hey? Well, I think, I think there's something, uh, I'm sure we could look up studies, but there's something about you know, receiving a laugh. That's like the greatest thing in the world. Like it's still, it still is, you know what I mean? Like getting or yeah. giving a laugh is like the best thing. Like when my son cracks me up or my wife cracks me up or when I crack them up, it's like the best part of my day. You know what I mean? I just think that's right. It's like the real world dopamine hit when someone likes your post on Instagram. Boom, dopamine. I feel good about myself. <laughs> Move on. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so then I do, you know, kind of like, you know, again, if you listen to any of these, um, you know, any of these podcasts where the comedians come on, if you listen to Mark Marin or, or any of these shows, you know, you live that life, you go on the road, it's funny, it's hard, you do shit gigs in the middle of nowhere. But here's the part that I that I try to like sort of impart and the difference between what I do now and what I do then. And again, that I didn't, I didn't know then was that 
it was for a lot of the wrong reasons. And again, I don't think that's all bad. Ask any guy why he ever picked up the guitar and he will tell you to meet girls, right? That's the only reason yeah. you ever pick up a guitar, right? Um, not because you want to get in touch with your musical whatever, right? And then, so I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be famous. I definitely wanted to get laid. Like this was super important stuff to me. I'm one of those people who uh, I think the phrase is couldn't get out of his own way. Like we just sort of, some way or another find find a way to tear things down around me um i also uh was an active uh addict and alcoholic and so there was that mm -hmm. so at some point you know what i mean I, I never like so i did it for like let's i guess a little less than 10 years or a little more than 10 years um and then i never quit i just i'd started this i'd started this staffing company, which I was doing as like a part-time thing. And I just kind of looked around and was like, I guess I don't do stand-up anymore. And honestly never thought I'd be like in front of the camera again, I don't think. So with, with this pursuit of, uh, of, of stand-up, were you doing anything to supplement throughout that time? Well, that's the thing. I was the fucking broke-ass fucking comic, dude. I was like, you know, I lived in LA. For 10 years? Yes. <laughs> From age <laughs> From age 24 to fucking 34, I I used you to were be in really, LA. Well, Boston then LA. I used to be really embarrassed when people would talk about where they went to college or talked about what they did for a living. I was always afraid of talking about that stuff because I felt somehow I was less than because like they'd gone to school, which is what you were quote unquote supposed to do. It was not like in 2020, it is very cool to be an entrepreneur. It was not in 1996, 7, 8, 2004. I was a broke-ass dude, and it wasn't until I had a staffing company that was doing pretty well, and I started talking to people I went to high school with who fucking owed gazillion dollars in debt and hated their lives. And I was like, they were like, you did a really smart thing. I was like, I guess I did. So this is what I've learned in the last seven, eight years, if I, if I trust my instincts and go towards what, what like just feels like the next right thing to do is, um, then things have worked out. So that's how this whole, cause like, I don't have a media background. I don't have a journalism background. The cues, I just kept getting cues from the, from the community and from the races. They were like, you seem to be the expert. Why don't we, uh, have you write a book? So we got to write a book. Scott Keneally comes along and says, I want to put you in my movie. You're the expert guy. And I'm like, okay. And then I did go all in, right? And I did want to put out better and better content. Um, and uh, now things are very calculated and it is a business and I want to grow it. I wanted to touch on something you just brought up real quick though. Do you think, because uh, you're how long sober now? You had an alcohol issue and how long have you been? 20 years. 20 years, brother. Fist bump. Congratulations. Way to go. Do you think, because I've been in the in the media, <clears throat> sort of that world a little bit with my reality TV stints, do you think like that lifestyle, like the comedian, the LA thing, was that all synonymous with your alcohol use and like getting, stepping away from that was part of your sobering process? Well, I can tell you that if you go to AA meetings, you'll pretty much hear the same thing all the time. It's like, well, you know, I'm in sales, which is a big alcohol, you know, business or well, I'm in blank business and we always have to take clients out. So you always have to have a drink. Like yep. it, if you're an addict, you're going to find it. But certainly if you can exist in a world where 
you sleep till noon, drive to a gig, and then start hanging out with nightlife people, right, and live that world, it's certainly conducive to it. Comedy and music certainly work that way when you can be like a night person, which is why like, you know, it's hilarious. Like, I am asleep by 1030 at the latest, you know what I mean? Like if I am out at something, like I have to like pound the coffees. Like when I went, Bracken, were you in town for the Spartan team championship? Yep. The second year when they did it at night? First year. Okay, so the second year they taped it at night, they had those big obstacles. I was like, woof, or I've got a Ninja Warrior tapings. It's like, I make it till 10 o'clock at the latest. So you, you, could, you could say that, but I also got sober halfway through that comedy career too. Oh, you did, okay. I was wondering if that was part of like, hey, like everything, you just made a big shift in your life and it was all together, but okay, there, they, that happened while you were doing comedy. Correct. Matt, got you. do you mind if I um, am hurtfully honest? Uh, no. Okay. So you, you <laughs> talked about right before this that you you were unsure if you should be doing this because you had no prior background in this. Right. And I did not want you to do this for like the first three years. I was frustrated with the state of media in this sport. And I just kept thinking like none of these people have a background in this. This is just like, oh, there's a niche. I'm going to fill it. Like – no one else will. I'll just do it. And then I got frustrated that that there wasn't like professionalism coming over. And then there was this switch in my head at like 2014. And and, and I, I had not been a fan of what you had done up until that point. And this, this switch flipped in my head that I realized I'm not professional. I'm not bringing professionalism over from something else. I wasn't good at running in the sense of like being a great runner. I, I was a division three runner who never qualified individually for nationals. I came over here because there was a slot that I could fill and try to create something of myself. And I, I wasn't a fan of Scott Keneally's project at first. I'm like, this, this is amateur hour. Why are we accepting this? Then suddenly I realized like, this is OCR. We are all able to choose our next act and we will fill the role and grow with it. And, and like on that day, I started appreciating what you were doing rather than looking for negatives. And it wasn't just you. It was media in general. And it was you could just say you can say me and Margaret. It's fine. I mean, like you can I can take it. Oh, there were more there's more than that, but like you were the face of it because you were the biggest face from the right. beginning. Yeah, but but so anyways, I, I had this shift where I went from, man, we just we need a professional to come in to finally like being proud, like, no, we created our own professionals. And now, like you said. You went from unsure, should I do this, to I know this is what I should be doing. And I think it's been really cool to watch how the media side of this has completely mirrored the athlete side, which has mirrored the business side of it was all people who had something else they did, got into it, and found their their role that they should be filling. And I and I, I don't know if it's because of your battle of sobriety and, and fighting through that, but you stayed the course where a lot of people didn't. There were certain athletes who fell off early or got tired of it. There were certain media members, certain business partners, certain races that just couldn't outlast everything. You outlasted it until you became like the professional you envisioned being. And I think that's as cool of a of a story as you can have in life is, is forcing yourself upon an industry and creating a professional way for you to make a living. Speaking of longevity, uh, somebody of this three predicts that we won't make it a year in our podcast, Bracken. It's not me, is it you? <laughs> I was really hoping. I was really hoping that would come up. I was really hoping that would come up, 
uh, and then you just said what you just said, which is honestly really flattering. And and honestly, Bracken, I really appreciate it. It takes a huge guy to say uh, what you just said. And there's a phrase we use in the program called uh, called spot it, got it, right? You spot it, you got it. So if I really don't like somebody, it's probably something in myself. So, um, you know, listen, you got real, I'll get real. You know, I give that guy gelati a lot of shit. And it's like, well, what do I not like about him? Well, he's loud. He wants attention, right? He's very opinionated. I'm all those things, right? So um, doesn't mean I have to hang out with the guy, by the way, but just pointing out that like you, you, that was a huge, that was very huge of you. We should cut out the whole, forget that whole thing about pros. We're getting to the real shit now. This is fucking amazing. Um, so, you know, I also uh, was lazy and used that as uh, an excuse for style. And people were like, you know, you don't really edit, you fart a lot, you you have weird noises in your podcast. I'm like, fuck you, if you don't like it, that's me. And then I got, I got a comment from someone, it's in my review somewhere that says, Matt, we love you, you're great, but seriously, dude, it's time for you to come correct. And I fucking, it's, it sat with me and I got it. And I was like, you know what? And it turns out I don't spend a lot of additional time because I do put 99% of what goes in there. It only took me making an adjustment this much. Let's say it's 15 minutes and it's made all the difference. And to hear people say, it's been nice to hear your progress and know now, especially because there's so much competition, like I have to like set a bar. And to be honest, like I do remember again, I don't know exactly when it was, but it might've been Heather Bodie, it might've been somebody else, but they sort of scooped me on an interview and I was like, oh shit. Like I've had this whole thing to myself for years and now I got to fucking work. So it's been great. It's one of those reasons that makes, that makes competition great. And uh, I try to let the work speak for itself and not, but I do definitely get into the like, well, I'll fucking outlast those fucking guys anyway. Fuck them. Like I know I get into that. Even if I like you, it's just kind of me feeling myself. So do you get, do you get, um, do you get like personal messages where people are like, Matt, fuck you, you're the worst? Or do you get like, how often do you get that stuff? Does that not happen or does it happen? Like the um, negative side of it. I know you have a lot of supporters. I'm curious about that other end. I mean, I don't know if we want to get into this. We probably shouldn't get edited out. But I mean, certainly when the 4.0 thing happened, people, you know, decided what side they were on. And I'm pretty sure the people that didn't, that sided were sure they didn't like me. And this, I think that's what they do, right? They're like, well, what is confirmation bias, right? Well, this proves what a motherfucker this person is, right? I mean, this just got, I made a, I made a stupid joke at the end of the podcast with Nicole and Woodsy and somebody posted like, Matt owes Nicole an apology. That was uncalled for. Yeah, fuck him. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't think most people are going to bother to say I don't like you. Um, people do say really, like I've had guys say, Matt, I really like you. I just can't handle all the cursing. And I'm like, dude, I'm sorry, but that's not something that is going to change. Like that's just not going to change for me if you listen to my show. And I'm sorry if that means you can't listen anymore, but I've gotten really sweet messages like that before. And, and that's you. Like I, I spent, I spent a weekend with you in your house. It's not like you're putting on an act for the camera. Like the way you talk on camera is the way you talk with your kids. You know, it's the way you talk with your wife. That's, that's just that Matt B. Davis lifestyle. It's one of those things like if people agree with it or disagree with it, they can't deny that it's actually you. People realize, oh, he's not putting on airs. There's people in this sport you know are showing you what they want you to see, and you're not that. Yeah. Authenticity. 
Right. And I think there's people that say, I don't care what people think of me, which I don't really believe because we all do. And of course, like it is fun to say, like, I know that people love me or hate me. And that's kind of a cool thing or whatever. You don't want to be boring or in the middle. But of course you want to be liked. Of course, it's nice when people say, you know, thanks for doing a good job. You know what I mean? Like, of course, like I say, I've said that on my show multiple times. I feel like everybody, don't get mad at me, but especially men have this thing with just like what a good job means. And like, we just sort of like, people want to be told that. Hey man, good job. Matt, what's uh, what's the favorite part about your job? What do you like the most about what you do? That's a serious question. I want to know what you like the most about your job. Um, I, I like talking to people clearly. Yeah. And um, well, how about I say this? You tell me if we get to this or not. Tell me if this if this answers it or not. Okay. The 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 tough mutter Spartan stuff that's happening now, and that people are thanking me for, right? Yep. That's that's seven years of building trust and relationships, right? I've never put somebody on the record and they said they didn't want to be. I've always been fair, right? Like, and that's why I have access right now that nobody else does. And that feels really good. That's like an underlying sense of peace and accomplishment with like your career choice. But I also want to say, but I also want to say, you know, all the things that you said, Bracken, about, and I never thought about that, all of us, the guy that, you know, the guy selling VJ shoes, Matt, you, me, like we're all just like, I hadn't really thought that that's kind of how this industry was born out of like this passion. Um, but it's also like, we're still just getting started, dude. Like, like years one to 20 might be the Hobie call years by the time this is done, even though we stopped racing in the fifth year, you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. we're still, we're still super ground level. I listen, I shouldn't say this out loud, but I keep thinking there is going to be the very young version of me that's out there with a killer camera that can fly to every fucking race because he's lived with his mom and makes amazing content. I'm afraid of that guy. I mean, realistically, if you look at this industry, like you would a normal progression through through life, we just graduated college. Like we did four years of high school in the first four years of sport. Then we did four to five years of college. And right. now we're like starting to get professional. That's really where we are. And so you feel like you've been around forever, but we, we are learning our new roles. It's a sport of reinvention and passion, which leads to growing pains, but it's been a safe place for people to grow outside of incidents like 4.0. Uh, like, you, sh you, should write, you should write this article. This is really good insight. I'm being serious. Are you trolling me like I trolled you earlier? I'm definitely that? not. I'm being absolutely <laughs> serious. I had no idea this is how this conversation was going to go. This is great. But really, like, if this had been real business and you started up your own business in a normal walk of life, you don't get 10 years to kind of like dick around with it and uh, to make mistakes. Do you have any idea what steak costs? You mean to serve you a steak? Do you have any idea what forks cost? I can't have forks at every table. Right. <laughs> like, that's it. We, we had a safe space to find what we wanted to do without everyone going broke or like ruining their family. Right. That's, that's rare. And that, that's why at the end of all, you know, the nonsense we talked earlier, and maybe not nonsense, but about the drama with the Spartan contracts, at the end of the day, it's why we all wanted to work. It's not that anyone hates each other. It's that we all recognize it's a really cool environment and we want it shaped correctly because this is this is unique to anything else I've ever seen in this world, this OCR environment. Matt, I'm gonna I'm jumping a little bit with my questioning, but I, these are burning questions. You see this list here? I got all these things. When you left, when did you leave your your 
job in quotes and do this full time? I have a lot of questioning I want to pursue, but when did you do that? How long ago was that? Somewhere between 12 and 13. 2012, 13. What, how did you decide to make that jump when you were like, you know what? Screw it. All my, I'm throwing all my cards on the table. Well, it's a, it was a very specific conversation. Again, part of the story that doesn't get told that often, but it's just, it's easier for the quick version. But since you're asking me, I want to hear about it. Yeah. No, I had started the podcast, right? I was, and I was the guy, right? Matt's the guy with the podcast. Uh, and so this guy in Australia decided to launch a brand. He reached out to anyone who had a blog, me, Margaret, Kevin LaPlatney, whoever else had a blog at the time and said, do you want to write for us? We said, of course. And then the more I talked to this guy, he's like, well, you're a business owner. Do you want to be my American partner? And I said, let me think about it. And he's, I said, well, how is this going to work? He's like, well, I'll give you like X amount of month and we'll get it started. And you've got to, you've got to source the person who can get the magazine and blah, blah, blah. And a hundred factors about my staffing company that I won't get into now that I can tell you at lunch in Jacksonville. Um, yeah. it, it felt like, like, uh, what do you call it? Like a life raft, like jumping over, but it wasn't like a really sturdy life raft because I knew this guy was starting a business with like, let's call it daddy Warbucks money, right? Like he was a daddy Warbucks type and those guys can wake up one day and go, I don't want to do this anymore. Right? So in my mind, I was like, I probably have a year runway to make this happen. And he's not going to write me checks every month. That runway ended up being three months, three months later, he was like, this isn't making any money. And so I was like, okay, I, I guess I'll just, by the way, nobody wants a magazine. Um, you came in at the exact wrong point in history. Well, you could say that, <laughs> or you could say modern obstacle came in at the exact point in history. They launched the month I decided to stop selling magazines. Like they just, they launched, which I thought was hilarious. But anyhow, uh, so I, I remember saying to my wife, like, should we go for this? And you know, as some people know, I drove for Lyft and Uber for a year and a half, two years. It was great supplemental income. No shame in that game. I was trying to work during the day and and driving at night, which was not good. Like I was, it turns out it was kind of, it just wasn't good. And so at some point it was like, okay, I got to like, you know, I got to just focus on this. And, um, and there were, dude, there was a time, there's been a couple of times where I thought, oh shit. One was when like, I don't know if it was right around when superhero scramble went out of business or somewhere where like somebody like it just wasn't looking good and I had nothing in the pipeline. I don't know if you, either yeah. of you have made had sales businesses before, but you got things in the pipeline that like the board was empty and it was like, Oh no. <laughs> Been there. Like maybe this was the wrong thing. Well, like when you're talking actually about that point specifically, and I was curious about that. So for example, for me, when I left my corporate job to start my personal training business, there was a year of time in which my bank account didn't see more than a thousand bucks. I was ready to jump right. ship. I was like, what am I doing? Am I going to have to go back to the shirt and tie business? Like, what am I, you know, and God, it's got to be like some points in there where you were really like, your head was in your hands and you're like, what do I do? What do I do? Like, when was that phase? How'd you get through it? I mean, if you want to get like really real, like it's a faith yeah. thing, right? Like, you know, I had someone say that to me a long time ago, even before this, like, well, if it doesn't work out, I guess I can work at Starbucks. Cause the other thing with me is I have no shirt and tie job to go to. I have no six figure job that I left. I have no degree, right? Neither does my wife. Yeah. Um, so I think, 
part of that like no net, no parachute kind of like, oh fuck. But it's like, someone said to me when I said like, maybe I should work at Starbucks, no disrespect to Starbucks. Um, someone said to me like, well, you know, God or whoever you believe in like probably has other plans for you. Like maybe if that's what he wants for you, then that's what you're going to do. But there's probably something. And it's like, all right, well, I mean, listen, if you even, I don't think people understand. I think a lot of people don't understand what broke means. Broke to a lot of people means we're dipping into our 401k. Like we've been broke, broke, like gas or groceries broke. Like you got to make a choice. And we've, we've had, and this is with kids insane. Right. And again, I think part of that helps like, well, fuck, like I got to just get up and do this. Um, but I mean, my wife's a saint because like she made food last a long time. Uh, it's been, it's again, it's like, that's why I feel like we're still just getting started. Like, it's not like I wake up every day and I'm like, yep, we're good. <sighs> you know what I mean? Well, Bracken and I got into podcasting for the millions and millions of dollars. We've been very public about that. That We're here to make This milk. is our yeah. cash grab, yeah. Right. Yeah, this is it, yeah. Wow, well, that phase lasted for a while then, huh? Well, I mean, I've, I've gone, you know, if anybody who works for themselves, you know, you can go like a month or two without any big things coming in and you figure out how to make shit work. And I've borrowed from friends. We actually didn't have credit for a hundred, like really, we finally have like started to get credit again, but like I've done all those things, right? Like pulling favors. I mean, listen, you know, you talk about people doing something for nothing again, real talk. You know, I don't have a paid staff, right? Like I pay Jeff to make videos, right? Like I pay for his time. I pay him to shoot. I pay him to edit. Cause at one point he was a good entrepreneur. He worked for free. And then he was like, Matt, I can't do all these races anymore. Um, and I pay people who most people who contribute or, or do social do it for, you know, free races. And, um, I used to get mad if after like a while they would stop performing and be like, why are they not performing? Like they're getting something out of it. But I learned they're essentially volunteers and there's about a year to a year and a half time line on that in my experience. And after about that amount of time, Usually the productivity starts to dip a little and I go, all right, it's probably time to move on from this person because they've, they've given me a lot. Um, uh, I mean, if you gave me a, if I like, if I like went on some shark tank thing and like, they'd probably say, get the fuck out of here. OCR is going to die. Just kidding. Um, but, and I had money, like that's what I would do. Right. I would, I would get a little studio, buy some slightly better equipment, hire a couple full-time guys, and then just crank out the content. Like, that's all I want to do. You know what I mean? Um, you can run lean and mean in 2020, right? You can record out of your own house and do whatever. Um, but um, there's been a lot of those times. I think that's, it's cool for people to hear because it, it reframes your perspective of, of why people are they. You know, why, 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 why is Matt Davis, Matt Davis? And why is Bracken, Bracken and Kirk, Kirk? When you frame things through your life, current situation and why certain decisions have to get made, suddenly certain things are endearing, you know, realizing, hey, if you're trying to stretch food or, or gas and you've got kids, like go out there and hustle, put your face everywhere. You know, I, I used to look at certain racers and say, man, they are just like prostituting themselves for race uh, sponsorships and suddenly you realize, well, yeah, because they have kids to feed and it's this or a corporate job, which was rooting their marriage. Then suddenly those things reframe it like, okay, I, I can, I can understand why you're doing it. And not only can I accept it now, I kind of, I'm kind of rooting for you. 
the whole social media thing, like uh, you guys probably like both have both have what I have, and that is a uh, what do you call it? a love hate relationship with it, right? It's it's yeah. it is my bread and butter, and then like I'm watching stories, and I'm like, I need to see you work out for the hundredth day in a row. Like that's honestly, I need to see your fucking workout video again. But what am I doing, right? What am I showing? I'm showing me running or stupid article or right. So yeah. I, I had an epiphany this year. It's just my epiphany. It's nothing earth shattering, but it was that I, I just didn't realize that in our current day and age, that is a job requirement. And as soon mm -hmm. as that switched, I realized, yeah. okay, I can try to put out contact content consistently because that's what you would have to do if you were in a job. You don't have two accounts, right, Bracken? Correct. How do you decide? Because you post about your family and you post about your athletics. How do you decide what goes on and what does not go on? I do not post much about my family. If you scroll back through, I actually don't have a ton on there because my wife is our outlet for that. I feel like my wife uh -huh. has the followers that are friends and family. I have a lot of strangers. and that, that That's not a negative connotation. I have a lot of people that don't know me and I don't know them. And I feel like it's not my decision to determine how much my kids are seen by the public. My, my athlete and coaching and whatever profile, I don't think that it's fair to my kids to say like, you are a part of what I put out there. I think my wife gets to determine that because it's to friends and family. Now, I'm not a huge celebrity, but it's still, my kids don't need to have people that don't know them like involved in their lives until they make that decision themselves. So I, I don't post a ton which is almost ironic because that's like half of my persona is that I'm a husband and father, but I, I actually prefer to, to not post a lot about that. But here's the thing. It's like, and I think we can move on from this after this, but like, it's really about personal branding, right? Like if you're actually like, if this is your job and you need to create a personal brand, then you need to, when somebody thinks, Oh, who's the OCR guy or the coach and you constantly are posting about it. Sure. It may be annoying to some people in the moment, but when they're like, you know what, I might need a coach boom, Bracken pops into their head. It's how I started my dang business. And like, is, is, that's just being savvy these days. And the more people look at it, yes, it's a lot of eye roll worthy content out there, but uh, people are like, it's okay to do that. You're doing it right. You're hustling. Like, and if you don't have appreciation for the hustle, you're probably doing it wrong. I, I don't profess myself to be a guy who's like, suck it up and grit and blah, 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 blah. But like yesterday it was, heavy rain, not drizzling, giant fucking drops, not freezing here, but like high forties, low fifties. And to take that first step is brutal, right? Like I drove to this park and I was like, fuck. And those first few drops hit you. But at some point between like, you know, mile zero and mile like two, you're like, this is the fucking best. I'm out here. No one's out here. Right. Yeah. But it's getting from zero, right? It's getting off the couch. It's driving to the thing, right? Yeah. You got to get through the first five minutes. Do you think it's only five minutes before the brain switches or do you think it takes longer? Well, for here, like if it's if you're in the cold, for example, and you step out of your 68-degree house and it's literally three degrees out with, you know, you got to get through the first five minutes. That's it. I mean, in my opinion, rain, whatever, five minutes, your money. Yeah. You got to suck it up. Yeah. Once you're out the door and you, and you start moving – for me, I feel like as soon as I commit to like actually my stride is starting, it's over. Then I'm good. I'm such a puss that I put on like too much clothes because I'm afraid. And then like two minutes into it, I'm like, fuck, why did I wear this hoodie? Like, and then I have to stash it somewhere or like, like the other day I wanted to run and like put things, it was like a 14 mile run. And for 12 of them, I had these fucking big gloves in my ass because I didn't fucking need them. <laughs> There's an art. 
to wear the correct gear at all times. Yeah. You're training for Boston, right? Yes. And that's uh, what April? What? What is it? April something? April twentieth. I should know the amount of weeks, but I but I don't. Well, you got to be almost about starting to hit the bulk of your training, man. What is uh What does a training week look like? Let's hear it from Spark Pro Matthew Davis. What his weekly training is like. So first of all, I have a coach. Yep. And um, who I trust and who I like. Who's your coach? Uh, her name is Danny. Funny story. I'm going to PT, which I've been going to on and off because I don't uh, ham and glute issues, right? Kind of basic runner stuff, not stretching them, not what's the word, strengthening them. So I go to see this lady I've been seeing for a long time on and off. And she was like, you know, I really work with ballet the most. Like you should work with a runner. Danny works with runners. I go, by the way, I think she's done obstacle races. So she fucking did superhero scramble back in the day. She's from Florida. So we immediately bond and we start talking about it. And I said, you know, I'm looking for a coach. And like, you know, I know I can, I can go to a bunch of people online. I'd love to have somebody I can work with. And she started giving me a plan and I really trust her. And I'll, this is a good plug for coaching. It's people think people focus on the accountability part a lot, right? Like, Oh, like it's something to be accountable to, but I've, I've been given plans and not followed them and then just stopped writing the person. Right. It yep. just, you can still be super unaccountable, but, um, something about like doing it together with the person, you know, I, I, you know, I can send Strava directly to her the second I'm done with the workout. Right. So I can put in there how I felt or whatever. Sometimes we talk more about it. Sometimes it's just, Hey, good job. And then specifically I had something happen where I wanted to break two for the half marathon, right? Breaking two. Some say it can't be done. Right. And, <laughs> and I had gotten like two Oh one twice. And I knew once working with her, I was going to get it. Right. So I had this Turkey day half and I did not get it. And I was in tears over it because I had just, I had fucked up. My pacing was wrong. And her and this other woman who were like legit runners, you know, I, I don't know what their fucking BQs are, but they've done Boston. They're really fast. And they were like, they didn't say what most people would say, which is why well, you got close and it's okay. They were like, yeah, man, we get it. It sucks. Right. And that was huge for me. Right. And I'm like, have you had problems with it? like, oh my God, like so many times I thought I was going to do X and ended up doing Y. And anyway, it's been great. So uh, this week, uh, six miles easy was yesterday. Today is speed day. We can talk specifically about what that is. Yep. What is it today? Okay. So, uh, so one mile warm up, cool down. Two by 400, 800, 400, and it looks like she's got me at two minutes, 410, two minutes pace. So, um, yeah, so like she asked me, like, well, hey, do you have a. So you're going, you're on two 400s, two 800s, two 400s? Did I catch that right? Correct. Correct. Okay, cool. What kind of recovery? We like to dive into this. No, no, no. I don't. It, she usually puts with rest. It doesn't have an. Like last week was one minute, one, one mile warm up, cool down. Eight by four hundred at two oh five with two minute rest, so that's just one lap around the track. Um, uh, I, I'm telling it to you guys as if you don't know. She didn't put the rest in between that, so I have to ask her. Wednesday is recovery. Thursday is uh, two mile easy, three mile fart lick, one mile easy. 
Friday, four mile easy, Saturday, long run. What are you up to for a long run now? Well, I fucked up. Last week was supposed to be nine. This week was supposed to be 12. And then last week I did 14. So I don't know what she's going to have me do. Oh. Um, because I was, I thought I had to do 12. And when I got halfway done, when I got a mile and a half away from the house, I was like, well, I may as well just finish. And I was like, oh shit, I was only supposed to do 12 today. Are you the athlete who always messages afterwards like, hey, so I know this is what was scheduled, but here's what I actually did. <laughs> Honestly, that's the first time I fucked up that bad. It was the first time that happened. Like in my mind, I just thought it was a 12. And trust me, I don't want to go longer usually, but I had made this certain loop and I was like, well, I could stop now and get a fucking Uber a mile and a half home or I could just finish. And it wouldn't have been as bad except that it was supposed to be a nine, not a 12. Um, so yeah, so you know, she said like, what do you want to do? And it's like, like, this is my first time doing Boston. I just want to enjoy it. Like, I don't want to be thinking about, cause people are like, well, you could just pick one anyway. I'm like, yeah, but then I'm going to be in my head the whole time trying to hit it. Like I was for that half, like constantly looking and I, I really just want to enjoy it. But when we get close, will I pick something in my head? Like sub five probably, but I don't, I kind of don't want to care. And that's why I know those times don't sound blazingly fast to you, but it's because she knows, that's where I'm at. You know what I mean? I'm at this like nine minute pace of running that I kind of want to be at. Yeah. I think the biggest thing with your first marathon in your situation is like, you don't want to be, that's a long time to potentially be miserable. If you're, if things aren't going well and you will simply want to be prepared to be on your feet that long and like enjoy the majority of that experience. Cause once that, once that sort of hits and the, and the, the piano gets hits on your back, um, that can be, you know, unenjoyable. So I think that's fair. Like you want to go out there and be like, alive and enjoy it as long as possible. Yeah. And here's the big, here's what I, I want people. If there's anything, if I can give something that like is something like good to take away, like I'm going to do Boston one day has been in my head for like the last five years. Right. And, uh, last July it was like, all right, well I got to fucking pick it. Like I got to do it. You know what I mean? So I'm like, okay, I can't qualify for time. I got to do this, you know, charity thing. And I started researching the charity thing and now it's on the calendar. And what do you know? Fuck, it's a few weeks away. So, you know, Boston went from one day to it's fucking coming. And so, you know, for me, I've done 170 fucking obstacle races, right? So for me, like, what is there to do? Like, well, I want to do Boston. I need to put that on the calendar. So, you know, after Boston, maybe I'll like want to get strong and you know, try to do better at obstacle races, but right now I don't care if I fall off obstacles. Yeah. And that, that training dude is going to translate to obstacle course racing. Like you're building a bigger engine than you've ever had. That always is going to translate to quicker speed over shorter distances for you eventually. So you're setting yourself up for success, Matt B. Davis. I approve. I also got a Theragun and it's the best investment my wife and I ever made. Really? Yes. Like who wants to sit around and foam roll, right? I not do not foam roll. I don't know why it was invented. I want to know about your footwear choice. What do, what are you wearing in Boston? Um, hang on one second, because I because here's the thing: as an obstacle racer and in the obstacle community, when I go put on my shoes for a race, I get to put on some wonderful VJs, or maybe I will like test a craft. Right around my house is not a lot of dirt, right? Yeah. So I need to wear a shoe without massive lugs. And here's my shoe of choice. Hang on. The Innovate Trail Rocks. So this shoe um, is the only shoe, you ready for this, that I've paid cash for in like five years because I get all my shoes for free to review, whatever. And these 
work for me. I love how they fit. I love how they feel that I've actually bought them like a couple times. I'm gonna have to buy another pair for when I three weeks before Boston, maybe because these are starting to, um, you can tell. Oh yeah. That's my Ooh, heel. Yeah. It's like, I'm not a heel striker. And then I saw this and I was like, I guess I am. Um, but so they're, they're minimal tread, you know, like, it's like, why do you have a pair that you love so much? I can't even tell you what it is about these, but no blister, no anything. I can run forever. And I'm, this is my current shoe of choice for running, uh, on the streets. But are you, what are you, what are, are you a VJ athlete? Is one of you a VJ athlete? Yeah, we both yep. are. This podcast is brought to you by VJ shoes. I yes, it that. is. Yes, it is. You got, a you got a discount code? We do yes, for we do. the winter studded shoes. It's the season. I just ran in those yesterday. How do you like them? Well, we don't have a lot of ice around here, so I just ran in the park. Uh, but I got to say, is there – I feel like the fit was, like, phenomenal. Like, it was only five miles, but it felt really good. I think it's their best out-of-the-box shoe that they've ever made. Well, like, the extreme I like, but I have to go half size up. These yep. I went straight – 11s and they were they felt real i mean it's tough to, i like to give things a like an eight or a ten miler sometimes you don't get that little hot spot until you go above a little bit now we're getting into fucking shoe nerddom right yeah <laughs> um, what were you racing in prior to prior to that uh everything i have a whole shoe closet but primarily innovate x talons that was innovator hoka yeah but i feel like all those shoes even innovate or or my hokas like I blew those things out. They did not last. I could wear a pair of my VJs for like two racing seasons and I, the shoe would still function well. Uh, maybe I'm not as hard on them as some people, but like I love that about them. Well, my the, opinion. well the the Evo Jaws were great if you wanted to just buy a new pair every time you yep. race. <laughs> right. I right. wish I wish VJ would uh collaborate with with like the Evo Jaws and do the Evo slap times VJ in sure. bulletproof them. Just the uh just the the tread, I mean, the the lugs, you mean? Yeah, and then just a little bit of Kevlar in the upper, and then I'd like them to do that with the X-Talon 190s. I'm getting a heart on right now. Or the 210s. <laughs> yeah, if VJ would just uh, would just take over and bulletproof everyone's shoes, this world would be a better place. Have you guys had the Vaporfly discussion on this podcast? We have only, like, just the tip. Just the tip. Let's Let's do the whole thing. Okay, so so quickly, give it. Can we do the five minute Vaporfly conversation? Because I am curious. Because I watch a lot of these YouTube suggest things to me, and I do watch stuff. Yeah. But a lot of these guys I don't really even like, like in the trail world or the running. Anyway, you guys I like, so I, I would like to hear your take. Kirk, you want to lead off? Nope, I want you to lead off because I don't have a strong opinion <laughs> on it. I've never even I've never even worn the shoe. Like I know what what the claims are, but um, Bracken, why don't you go? Here's my take. I think we are living in the golden age of shoes. I think that you hit the minimalist movement that shook the industry up after years of like adding unnecessary things to shoes. And everyone quickly realized that that's not a great way for most people to live their lives training in five fingers and Nike freeze. And then it swung the opposite way into hokas and these massive cushion. And right now we have the like the love child of both of those shoes where every company is innovating to have the lightest most cushion, most dynamic shoe possible. So I think it's fantastic in general, like the shoe community right now. If is there a community of shoes? We call it the shoe culture, Matt. Is that more appropriate? Yes. Okay. So 
However, the Vaporfly has pushed to the what I would consider the legal and moral edge of where that should be. Now, I am not <laughs> I am not against the Vaporfly. I actually think it's a fantastic innovation for the sport, but I think whatever is next is definitively bad because you're going to start getting into an arms race for technology and actual like tricks existing in the shoe. I think the idea of the carbon plate and fantastic foam is fantastic, like truly incredible. And I wouldn't run a marathon in anything other than that. Personally, if I'm going to run a, a road race 10 K or above, I think it'd be foolish to wear anything but that. Should I order some? Well, you would have to, uh, you'd have to start doing your workouts and long runs in it now. Right. But I'm saying like, seriously, you think for an average, right? Middle of the pack person, right? That's going to run like a 430 marathon, right? 435 marathon. It would make a difference, a significant difference. Uh, I would not if I was running slower than three hours probably, but I okay. would be in a super shoe of some sort. Seriously. I would, uh, uh, Asics has what their meta ride and their a couple other of their, they have, um, Asics came up with a heavier, more cushioned, more accessible than the everyday runner uh, plated shoe with the, the propulsion technology in there. I might be in that. I might be in the Hoka Carbon X, but I would not run a marathon without a plate in my shoes and with some, without some sort of rocker technology. Hoka Carbon X, it's called? Yeah, there's the Hoka Carbon X, uh, Asics. I think it's MetaRide. I'm of course going to run this by my coach, but you really think it's even for the average person, you think it's worth it to, because, because what's the, what's just the, the plate you just mentioned, what's the difference going to be for uh, me it, over, it, over 26 miles? What's the difference going to be that matters? It's that each stride's costing you a little less. And the big thing is that it's paired with a lot bigger stack height and cushion underneath. So you are naturally faster and you're propelling forward a little bit more, but you're also taking less of a pounding doing it. What if you pair it with a nice Pinot? A Pinot? I think that that'll probably cancel each other out. <laughs> I was really hoping I'd get Kirk with that one. He didn't He didn't like it at all. I went on a hike. We did a 14er in Colorado with a guy once who put wine in his hydration pack. And he was like, this is going to be the greatest thing ever. And he was like a blast for a half hour. And then he got drunk and surly. <laughs> and then he started farting so badly. We were at like 13,000 feet and he's just crop dusting the entire mountain. <laughs> And he was sick to his stomach and miserable the rest of the day. It was the worst. You okay over there, Matt? Matt's choking on his own lap. Don't edit that part out. That's that's honestly – people have messaged me like, Matt, that's my favorite part of the show. When you laugh so hard, you start choking. So, Matt, what's your take on, on the Vaporfly or shoe technology? Well, I don't know nearly as much about it as you do, but I feel like it's fascinating, right? Like, remember a couple years ago with uh, with old uh, Swimmy Swim? What's his name? Swimmy Swim? Are you talking about? Are you talking about the speed suits in the pool? Yes, but who was our who was our greatest athlete? Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps, and you know, it's a it's a fine line, right? It's kind of like because it's not peds, right? It's not we're not putting it in our bodies; we're putting it on our bodies. But it's like. Where's that line, right? Like the, you know, the, when, when Roger Bannister broke the four minute mile, what the fuck was he wearing? They didn't even have the waffle yet, right? Right. So it's it's fascinating to me, all, all this stuff. I mean, you know, the moral thing is like, I, I don't think I'm, I'm qualified to, to, to say that, but I, I, I do think it's really cool. And that's more my question was what I, what I asked. Like, okay, 
if you're cutting if you're cutting millions of, of whatever's off and you know okay so let me ask you this right because like when when those of us I'm raising my hand woke up one day and born to run was a thing and barefoot was a thing and we're like oh my god i should be doing all these things and then jerk you know came along and and and, and uh four foot strike and midfoot strike was a thing and then I think it was Jerk or somebody that was like, listen, just go out and fucking run. It doesn't fucking matter if you're a heel striker or not. Um, so, you know what I mean? Like, do you think, do you, would you say to, if you were coaching me, would you say, Matt, learn how to mid strike because you're costing yourself by? Nope. I would say find the shoe that supports your best stride and refine your stride the best you can. But when you say refine, you don't mean like trying to like count steps and get in cadence, right? Or do you? Well, I, that's a whole episode if we want to get into it. But my take on stride is that no one needs to, outside of like medical concern, no one should change their stride. They should just tweak and refine it and become the most efficient version of their own stride. Because I think we we run the way our skeletal system is set up for the most part. So if you're a heel striker, be the most efficient heel striker you can be. And over time, you'll probably gradually move a little bit more midfoot just with speed and efficiency. But no, I don't believe in trying to force feed a change to your physicality. But I think that these current shoes allow you to be at your best self when you run. Like if I was to run a marathon in those shoes you have right there, I wouldn't be able to just run my best stride because I would have to try to cushion the blow. But in a big, cushioned, light, efficient shoe, you could hit the ground how you want to and just keep moving forward. See, I feel like with shoes... Like with shoes, I feel like the biggest thing that impacts your your foot strike, in, in my opinion, is the drop on the shoe. Like if you have a, a zero drop or a heavy drop, like I feel like that can affect how your foot is making contact with the ground more than anything. Um, that's just been my experience. So I don't know. Have you run, Matt, have you run in a, a lower drop shoe before? Do you do much of that? I, I, the lowest I ever had was the, was the Minimus. Remember those? And I, I, I liked those for OCR unless it was really muddy and then you were fucked. Um, but I don't remember what the drop was on those, but I messed around with those a little bit. And, and then I started getting a lot of shoes for free. So I just got whatever, like, you know, Innovates and, um, and Solomon's. Like, I cannot wear Solomon's. Like, way too fucking narrow for me. Like, just yeah. flat out. Like, you, I can't go a size up. I, I could go three sizes up and, you know what I mean? And you won't, you won't fit in the Vaporfly. I won't fit in the Vaporfly? Well, there goes that. They're super narrow. But there are, like I said, Asics, Skechers, um, Saucony. So here's what I was going to ask. So when the barefoot thing came along and people were idiots, right, and ran 20 miles in a, in a, in a barefoot glove overnight and they broke everything, is there a downside to the Vaporfly? Initially, because it was 10 mil drop, a lot of people had Achilles problems because they weren't used to loading in that style. Um the biggest downside is that it's like any other performance enhancer. When you don't have it, you feel like a shell of yourself. And they're expensive and they're, they don't have great longevity. So if you use it as a tool for workouts, long runs, and races, I don't personally see a downside to it other than it's expensive. What is the what is the drop on the second version of that shoe? I think it's is closer it to eight in the current. Eight, 10's, a really, 10's a really high drop, I feel like, for a racing shoe. I think they found that eight to 10 is the optimal drop for forward propulsion but okay. that muscularly that run you run into some issues with some people in stride types with having that severe of a drop yeah. i'm looking at the uh carbon x from hoka yep. uh 
and they're uh, 179.95 on Running Warehouse. And it says 35 millimeter heel, 30 millimeter four foot. So that's five drop, right? Yep. Um, all right. Maybe I would compare those and the Asics version. You can check those also on Running Warehouse. Those are pretty accessible shoes. Meaning that anyone can kind of plug and play those regardless of pace. I, uh, is there anything else you want to, you want to wedge in there, Matt? Anything that people need to know about Matt B. Davis you just want to sh shout at him? Anything we missed? Um, well, I hope they know that um, if I really hated you guys, I wouldn't say anything. So when I say that, like, they're not going to last 30 episodes and I hope I crush them, it's fun for the most part. Um, yeah. Right? Because honestly, like, there's a plenty of podcasts I don't mention, right? You're a real mensch. Well, Matt, you, you, you tried hijacking our, our intro. Why don't you take the reins, be the pro, lead us out here? <laughs> well, lead us out. Um, well, if you want to learn more about uh, Bracken's coaching program, you want to check out, <laughs> I don't know, what's your website? <laughs> Just drop it, slide into the DMs. Slide into the DMs. I, I, I think that's great, but I, I would recommend having a site just to, as a landing page. I mean, Matt, listen. Matt, get us out of this podcast, man. Uh, what <laughs> Help us. We're, we're Tell here, people to rate and review it or something. Write and review. We do two episodes every week. Um, we do Tuesday training sessions, and then we have another episode that we do. We just did a phenomenal interview uh, with What's-Her-Name, and she was great. Um, Carrie Tolson. We had a we, okay. You can edit that last line out. We just had a great episode with Carrie Tollison. Uh, you may know remember her from the Hard Charge uh, production team. <laughs> I can't do this. Guys. I can't do it. I'm sorry. Thanks for having me on. I thought you nailed. I thought you nailed. Who, who will be in Jacksonville? Raise your hand if you'll be in Jacksonville. Me. So you're not. You're Bracken. Are you? What's the first race you're going to be at? I don't know. I have knee surgery next Thursday. What? Oh, we're gonna have, we're gonna have to dive into that one at some point too. But yeah. So, so, okay. Well, that disappoints me. All right. Thanks for having me on, guys. Can I tell people that I'm going to be on the show or should I make it a surprise? No, tell people. Spread the spread the word. We'll give you our millions of fans if you give us your dozens. I do want to talk to you guys more, though. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Kirk, I'll have you. I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll talk in Jacksonville, but I'd love to. We should do this the other way around, too, right? Yeah. That'd be great, right. Of course. Thanks, Matt. The Running Public is brought to you exclusively by VJ Shoes. These shoes are off-road, trail training and racing, bulletproof, and they have the best grip on the planet. Best grip on the planet, hands down. Feet down. Feet down. Get yourself some. <laughs>